0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: This is the Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: There
2: you are. and There I am. Here I am. Here I be. Andrew Herzog of the Bonfire Podcast, here to talk about the interesting things. The, the mind-boggling things. The fun stuff. This is the good stuff. Good stuff right here. Something I found the other day on YouTube it is a relatively new video. It is something made by a channel called Every Frame a Painting. And they have 845,000 subscribers. So it's safe to say they're a relatively popular channel. I was just browsing YouTube, as I usually do for my job, for all sorts of content, and just for fun videos. I found this, and I thought, wow, I never even thought of that. Now that you mention it, it makes total sense. And you have great evidence to back it all up. So what am I talking about? The Marvel Symphonic Universe. The Marvel movies. So all the superhero movies that we are all familiar with. Captain America, X-Men, The Avengers... What else is there? The Spider-Man movies that are coming out soon. So the latest like 13 Marvel movies that have come out. Iron Man. All of those. There is something missing from those movies. Now all of them have been super popular. I don't think there's been a failed one. Maybe Ant-Man. I don't know. I didn't see that movie. I saw most other Marvel uh, Universe superhero movies. I didn't see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy either. But I'm told it was great. I'm told Ant-Man was also pretty good. I said, alright, well, whatever. I only saw Iron Man, the Avengers, the X-Men movies, but there is a, a commonality in these most recent ones, the most popular ones. They do very well at the box office, but there's something missing. Allow this YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting to sort of explain what is missing. The fact that The movies have a dramatic absence of music.
3: It's like the air conditioner in the background. After a while, you tune it out. Another problem is that the music is used very predictably, so that what you see is what you get. If you see something funny, you hear funny music. You see something sad? You hear a high note on the strings? This is a really safe way to score a film, because all of the emotions are expected. The music just tells you the same thing as the picture. If someone looks scared, then you hear And this is the second reason the music is forgettable. It never challenges your expectations.
2: All right, so this, it's sort of a documentary on YouTube. It's almost 14 minutes long. But I sat and watched the whole thing because it had me pretty much from the beginning. They asked a couple of bystanders, and I believe it was in Vancouver, somewhere in Canada. Maybe it was Ontario, I don't know. They said, hey, sing us one of the tunes from Star Wars. And they did it. Hey, sing us one of the tunes from 007. And they did it. They thought, what else? How about Jurassic Park? I forget if they did that one or not in the video. But there's an excellent example as well. All those movies, examples, 007, Star Wars, Jurassic Park. You could probably even do Gladiator, Braveheart. All iconic, in Lord of the Rings, of course. Iconic examples of music. That was scored specifically for it. You know, those themes are stuck in your head. And they're tunes that everybody knows. Very memorable. Not so with Marvel. Not so with these movies. With these superhero movies. And in the video, if you, were, if you get to watch it later, which I do encourage you, they're absolutely right. When there's a sad scene and they're kind of like crying and they're like, oh, something tragic just happened. It's a high-pitched um, violin of sorts. And when it's something scary, it's like, doo-doo-doo, and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? It's the exact same emotion. And they go on in this video to explain, well, look, all the music is doing is reinforcing what you're seeing. That's kind of useless. It's not adding any, you know, different element to what you're watching. You could take out the music and feel the exact same emotion. So when it's supposed to be a funny scene and you're seeing expressions on their faces that are, would make you laugh, they're doing something comical, the music kind of just backs it up. You're like, well, I, I didn't really need that. You know, you could have done something else. And, you know, this this whole video is just full of things I never even thought of. I said, oh, my gosh, you're absolutely right. And if you switched out that scene with this kind of music instead, well, I, that gave me so much more emotional connection to it. And I thought, oh, man, that would have been good if you had this kind of music with it instead. But instead, you chose this generic crap and that's really what the video gets at saying like this is very generic stuff Marvel they tend to just kind of recycle they're like we're, we're gonna play it safe we're just gonna trust that the audience wants to see the action and the characters so let's not put a whole lot of thought into the music let's just tell the composer hey copy this do this boom you're done all right let's move on they they admit well, yeah it's not a huge concern of ours you know the composer doesn't say that the director and the other people in charge tell the composer yeah we're not really concerned about it you're here to just kind of make something up, even though they're really not. So let me go ahead and continue with the uh, the wee bit of documentary here, and we can delve further into this this weird thing that Marvel is doing with its music.
3: Film music is incredibly subjective, and it goes through trends. And over the last 20 years, there's been a cultural shift. Nowadays, a lot of filmmakers feel that music should not be noticed. That's a contemporary thing that
0: I've heard very frequently. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be noticed. right? But Why is it not supposed to be noticed? Um, I grew up on Alfred Hitchcock's films, Bernard Herrmann,
3: and I noticed every note. I find it a little bit baffling why that seems to be the consciousness of music and film. But there is one thing we haven't mentioned yet, and it's very important. Today, blockbuster movie scores are composed through a particular process, and that process starts with one controversial element.
2: Danny, you you groaned earlier when someone mentioned temp music. The pros and cons.
3: For me, temp music is
0: the bane of my existence. It's my job to make the director forget everything he's heard in the temp. I won't listen to it, but once. (laughs) I'll never listen to it twice. And if they're addicted to it, it's just going to make my job harder.
2: All right, so there you go. Something I'd never even heard about in the industry, called temp music. Basically, hell, that's what I did when I was in high school. I would take other people's music. I didn't have anything to do with it. I would just take it and say, all right, I filmed a video, and I have somewhat of a story, somewhat of a plot. Let me just tag on some Gladiator music to it, and boom, I'm done. And of course, I would only share it with friends and family, so I wouldn't get in trouble. I wasn't making a profit off of you know, my stupid little video. I would take a lot of contemporary music. I would take <laughs> music from Fallout Boy and Switchfoot and Lincoln Park and just say, Alright, I'm gonna add this to a video with all the stuff I shot. I'm gonna use the whole song and I'm gonna release it to my friends just for fun. So temp music is that exactly. Basically taking someone else's work as the director and saying, Alright, I want you I want you to put it underneath this scene that we shot. Oh, that seems to fit really nicely. Oh, I like that. Okay, I like the the feel that that music is bringing to this scene. All right, so then he turns to the composer and says, all right, you listen to this? I want you to make something similar to that. And then he walks out of the room. The composer sits there and goes, then you're not really telling me to compose anything. You're telling, you're telling me to just copy what this other guy already did. First of all, illegal and very dangerous. Two, a huge crushing blow to the guy's creative talents. He is a composer. For God's sake, uh, composer, composer. For God's sake. <laughs> so, wh- wh- but this seems to only be happening lately, and especially in Marvel movies. There's all sorts of examples. You know, they have an example here in the video about 300. You know, about the Spartans, and apparently some other movie called Titus, which I'd never heard of, and I think that was back in the 70s. They took the director a song from Titus placed it underneath a certain scene and said, all right, I want you to make something similar to that. That is the feel I'm going for here. I want it to feel and sound and look like this. Then the composer was like, okay, frick, I'll do the best I can do. And then he kind of made something almost spot on to exactly what was in Titus. They eventually got sued. Warner Brothers saying, what are you doing? You can't be doing that. And they apologized saying, all right, sorry. Yep, we made some mistakes. Uh, Warner Brothers wasn't directly related. We didn't know they were doing that, but we apologize, and we've now... Um, resolved this issue amicably with the original composer back in the Titus movie. So there you go, an example of what I would do, taking other people's music and saying, all right, that seems to fit the scene, I like it, sounds great, let's move on. They're doing that in Hollywood. They're doing that in Marvel. That just shows the lack of care and attention that, you know, one of these composers just admitted. He said, look, it's the bane of my existence, temp music, and it sucks for us because it's this contemporary idea that you're not supposed to feel something for the music it's just supposed to not be noticed you go to the movies just to watch stuff he says no what the hell that's not what we (laughs) grew up on it pulls you into the movie and the scene a million times more if it is an originally produced composed piece of art the music okay another great example is inception i have the soundtrack for inception and gladiator and braveheart and what else do i have off the top of my head And those are the only three I can come come up with right now. But anyway, those to me were iconic enough that I thought, hmm, there were certain sounds and voices and instruments and effects that I liked about that movie. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go buy the musical score because I want to be able to listen to it later. And now those tunes are stuck in my head. I don't buy the Marvel soundtracks because they're nothing. They're generic. They're flat. They're boring. And that's what this documentary, the Marvel Symphonic Universe, is explaining. Saying that, why why are more and more people doing this? We should be letting the composers tell us what they think. Hmm, as I watched what you filmed, here's the emotion I got from it. You know, and you discuss with the director like you're supposed to. And then you come together and say, all right, well, make me something. Let's go ahead and compose an original piece. Use your vocabulary and your diction and find new ways to connect with the composer. Don't just say, oh, here's a song. Uh, I want something like that. Okay. And then he moves on to the next project. Now, Sit down with him. Work harder to include the music. Because that is what makes the movie iconic. I would not say these Marvel movies are iconic. They're certainly popular. But they're definitely not iconic like Indiana Jones. Jurassic Park. Star Wars. Even Harry Potter. To a degree. Lord of the Rings. Come on. You got to put more effort into it, Hollywood. No excuse. Now, here's the final piece. And I promise this is the last piece of the... Uh, documentary I decided to rip.
3: Before temp music became popular, directors would often reference other music as a way to talk to the composer. But what changed everything was modern nonlinear editing, which allowed a director to put their favorite music in the movie and have the editor cut to it.
0: Oh, you're you're using mixdowns? Yes, we're just
3: right. Now, a director points to the temp and says, make it like that. And it's not because the music is the right choice, but because they've listened to it again and
0: again and again for hours and hours and making a new DVD they watch at home when they go back and then another, another version the next day with the same music. And at some point, the, the music sticks to the picture. Mm-hmm. You're, Any you're, good music they sticks could spend st- a year with it before course, you arrive. Of course, so it's, it's, possible. It's, it's connected. And when you take, by the way, when you take that music out, often the cut isn't right because
3: they're cutting to something that... Very it's good. very frustrating. Of Part of the frustration is that filmmakers just reuse things that worked in every other movie so you end up with the lowest common denominator.
2: And there you go. There is the the three pieces that I chose to rip from the 14-minute special, 14-minute documentary, whatever you want to call it, and makes an excellent point about Marvel and why I am so much more of a fan now of those iconic movies because of their music. I'm not a fan of this new trend that some people seem to be pushing for of keeping the music unnoticeable, if that's a word. Let's, let, let's keep it behind the scenes. Let's not make it important. No! As someone who loves his music and uses it every day, and I listen to all sorts of music, that is totally the wrong direction you should be going, okay? Because a book does not have music. You sit there and you read it. You see the images in your head. Okay, great. When you're watching a movie, you're seeing it also in front of you. But what also makes it a movie is what you're hearing. the dialogue, of course, but on top of that, more importantly, the music. Having the music tied together with visuals is what makes a movie a movie. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's what makes a great movie a great movie, rather than the cookie-cutter Marvel approach. But, to be fair, Marvel is noticing a huge amount of money in their coffers (laughs) because of the cookie-cutter approach, so they're probably not going to change that. But, ladies and gentlemen, just keep that in mind when you go to those kinds of movies. And I I am going to see Avengers 3 or whatever they're going to call it. And uh, what else is there? I I don't think they're going to do an Iron Man 4. But, anyway, Captain America 4, maybe, who knows? I don't know. Whatever. Thor 3. I'm going to see Thor 3 called Ragnarok, I believe. So, yes, rest assured, I'm still going to see them. But I'm not going to walk away with a memorable experience of the music certainly going to be the visuals. Very visually impressive movies. They look great. For sure. But it is not because of the music that I go. Not to Marvel. Not to Marvel.
1: This is The Bonfire. On Demand. On The Blaze Radio Network.
0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: This is the Bonfire, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Here's your host, Andrew Herzog.
2: Now here's another interesting article, uh, discovery that I found. Uh, This is an article back from June, so it's pretty old, but it's starting to make the rounds again, at least where I found them on different news feeds it's from the new york post and it says millennials don't deserve new york city and the uh, author here is making the point here they are the greatest generation of couch potatoes a growing number of 18 to 34 year olds the world's largest age group prefer to unwind by staying in watching netflix and ordering seamless rather than by getting down at a club or bellying up at a bar more young people are choosing to spend a quiet evening at home A study by the Taylor Nelson Sofras, a consumer research agency, found that on average, millennials stream 2.7 hours of TV a day, while the earlier generation, Generation X, does about 1.8. And obviously, I think you're supposed to assume that the uh, baby boomers do even less than Generation X of 1.8 hours. They do less than that. Millennials, quote-unquote, it seems to have discovered that the need to socialize face-to-face is waning, as food, shopping, friends, entertainment, and even sex are all just an app tap away. The study also found that Millennials spend about 3.1 hours a day on their mobile devices compared with Generation X's 1.7. Alright, so there was the New York Post article, and it kind of continues. It's only a, a few paragraphs, really. Um, it's saying here, Millennials seem to be lazy and or no longer interested in the traditional evenings traditional outings, traditional ways of socializing. I would say, okay, to a degree that's true, because we have technology. We know, hey, if I need to ask someone something, I don't have to drive to their house. I don't have to use a landline. And when I'm in the middle of something, say, eating or watching a movie, and I'm wrapped up in it, it occurs to me, oh, I forgot to ask uh, Robert something. Let me text him real quick. We can do that at the same time. We don't have to stop the movie, pick up the phone, make a phone call, and hope that he's home in order to answer it, to ask the question, we just send a text and say, all right, he'll get it. He'll respond when he can. So unless it's urgent, that's why we text. We know, okay, he's got it. It's on his phone. It it was sent. It has been delivered. And if they don't respond, then that's an irritation that we definitely have. We'd say, what the hell? I texted you. It happens, okay? I'll admit it. Now, it goes on to say in another article that's referencing this New York Post one. It's from Vice millennials have discovered going out sucks okay i would say this one tends to be a bit more unfair it does bring up the uh, dating that yes our generation i think does have a problem with it and it sucks but that's because of technology we found hey i don't have to go to a bar to find people there are other ways to do it i don't have to date in person i can just do it over the computer Now, my personal preference, yes, is spend quality time. Quality time is not staring at the Skype or on the phone or texting. That ain't quality time. Quality time is you are physically next to me and we're doing something together. We're going out. We're participating in the world. I'm an introvert. That doesn't mean I want to participate in the world every single freaking day for hours and hours and hours. I do need some alone time. But I realize, hey, when it's time to date or when it's time to spend time with friends or family, let's go out. I will come to you, or why don't you come over to my place? Let's physically be in the same room together and communicate verbally, not tech-wise at all. Let's let's ixnay that every now and then, okay? Rest assured, when people are out of state, of course, you have to use your technology. That way you can keep up with them, and that's what's great about it. Something here, though, let me see if I can find the quote real quick. be dee okay. Quote-unquote, a 2016 survey by Heineken found that when millennials do bother to venture outside, 75% drink in moderation. Uh, the dude who wrote this Vice article had a problem with that. Let me, let me make sure it's a guy. Harry. Yep, Harry. Mm-hmm. Harry from Vice. And I lost my place. Quote unquote. We're streaming more television and spending more time on our phones than Generation X, declining to socialize in person. And maybe most damning of all, more young people are choosing to spend a quiet evening at home. We're not even cool enough to get drunk. A 2016 survey by Heineken found that when millennials do bother to venture outside, 75% drink in moderation. Okay, Harry, so getting drunk is desirable? I don't think so. If it is for you, well then, then you're a child. Only children and people who are immature are excited about getting drunk. Now, let me say this. (laughs) Do I enjoy drinking? Yes, I do. But I don't do it to get drunk. I do it. To get a little buzz. There is such a thing as moderation. And that's what this <laughs> survey from Heineken is saying. Hey, 75% of millennials drink in moderation. That's the way to do it. Okay, If you're someone who says, you know what, I just I, I just don't drink. I just choose not to. It's like, okay. Har- no harm, no foul. To each his own. You know, that's perfectly fine. If you're someone who just gets absolutely, oh, okay, <laughs> just gets so drunk, you are out of control, you're belligerent, you're irritating, you're puking everywhere, and you're a burden to others, then you are trash. What are you doing? Anybody who desires that, you've got some serious problems. You really do. I would say the vast majority, and I hope, are ones who say, look, I go out, I get some drinks, it loosens me up. You know, It lowers my filter a little bit to a degree. It's like a spectrum. We all, um, at least adults, have filters. We know what to say and when not to say it. We think lots of things but we're like, I'm not going to say that. That's inappropriate or well, that's immature. But the alcohol seems to kind of uh, destroy that <laughs> filter. And the first thing that pops into your mind, you just spit it out and you think, "Oh, oops. Whatever." And then you move on with your night because you're you're pretty buzzed. Okay? It's sort of it's something of a truth serum. Yes, it absolutely is. But when you do it in moderation, then it just loosens you up. You're a little more carefree. You are someone who says, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the night. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow's work or what I did wrong yesterday. I'm just going to live here in the moment. I'm going to enjoy this wine. I'm going to enjoy this uh, Long Island. Sit here and eat some you know, bacon fries with my buddies. We're going to watch the sports games. Or tonight I'm going out on a date. We're going to have a nice dinner and uh, some cognac. Okay. That's called culture. That's called awesome and being an adult. When you go out and get drunk, puking out your guts, you're an idiot. So there shouldn't be any problem with this statistic. 75% of millennials drink in moderation. Perfectly fine. That is the way you should do it. Now people have a problem with Netflix. Saying, hey, quit watching so much TV. Okay, you got us there. Because look, it's so convenient. It's on demand. It's not like Older generations that had to wait. Like, hey, uh, Wednesday night at 7.30. We need to be home so we can watch it. And if we miss it, then we miss it. And then it's over. The modern conveniences is a double-edged sword. Super convenient and amazing. Lots of choices and plenty of entertainment. And we're happy. But it can destroy your humanity to a degree. You no longer learn to socialize properly. Now, I am an, an introvert. As I've said multiple times now, and I'm sure it's getting irritating. So I do watch my movies and my TV shows, and I enjoy that time alone. But I realize I still need human interaction. I still want it. So once I've had my fill of TV for the evening, then I'll go read a book. Or I will just say, you know what, I'm going to go out tonight you know, for a little bit, for an hour, for half an hour, something. If I anticipate something coming up and say, you know what, this, this weekend I'm going to be at the theater because I, I need to see this movie, then I will say, you know what, Thursday night let's go out. Friday night, let me go out to dinner. Let me see these people and interact with them. That way I get sort of the social obligation done and I can see people and maintain those connections. And then you're, you're good to go. I'm not someone who just lounges around on the couch all the time. Believe me, that's super boring. There are plenty of other things to do. So it's a personal choice. It's not something that is this generation, that we're all that lazy. We all prefer to be on the couch. Not true. My friends in my circles, we don't do that. We know there's a place for it. We think Netflix, okay, that's there if I have nothing else to do. Other than that, we like to travel. There's rock climbing, working out, going out to eat, drinking, going to the concerts, playing Top Golf. Come on. Plenty of other activities and things to do and see than just stay at home. I'll stay at home during the weeknight when I know, hey, I got to get up early tomorrow for work. Then my priorities change. So, these articles here saying millennials are lazy. They've discovered that going out sucks. They're all lame, introverted morons. One of them, I think the New York Post does make a point. It's cheaper to just stay home. Absolutely true. Mm, as much money as millennials can blow on experiences and things like that, which we do. We also realize, well, wait a minute. Why am I going to pay 10 bucks for a drink downtown and then give a tip? Because... Someone made it for me, why don't I just go to the store, buy me a six pack for ten bucks? And that'd be that'd be higher quality beer. You can definitely get a six pack for seven bucks, but let's just make it a six pack for ten bucks. You ain't tipping anybody, you're spending ten bucks, boom, you're done, and you get a six pack. That's more alcohol. So it's more affordable for you to just say, Look, I'll just buy it myself at the store or I'll go compile the liquor and the mixers that I need at the stores and the liquor stores and bring it home and make it myself rather than going out and spending 50 bucks for five drinks, and I get drunk, and then I have to find a way home, pay a taxi, find a friend. Let's just stay home. It's more convenient. And then there's Netflix. (laughs) So um, I think those are relatively unfair articles. So it's too broad. You're painting with too broad a brush there, Vice and New York Post. I think you are overlooking half of the generation. Those who have their heads on straight and have a a good balance in their life, something Bonfire recommends. So, for example, if you're listening to this right now, I encourage you to listen to the other two segments coming up. But then when it's over, go outside. Go do something. Go work out. Stuff your face. Get a drink. See some friends. Go to the party.
0: Do something! This is the Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand.
1: This is the Bonfire On Demand. Hosted
2: by Andrew Herzog.
1: On the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Now I'd like to share with you a short story that I wrote for Thought Catalog. Thought Catalog is uh, another website. Anybody can submit their material. Um, I have found, though, that the website features plenty of articles such as 15 ways to orgasm. uh, 13 ways to get a hard-on. Okay, just stop so much. It's like BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is just, they're trashy articles. Nothing but lists and GIFs, pictures, and you're like, all right, that's cute. If I'm in the mood for something stupid, I go to BuzzFeed. If you're in the mood for something sexual and dirty and just kind of weird, then yeah, you go to Thought Catalog. I mean, one of its bylines, one of its mottos is, all thinking matters. So, of course, you're going to get some really weird things on here. But that's how they roll. Not bonfire. Bonfire specifically chooses to avoid those types of easy, trashy, weird, odd excuses for articles. Bonfire aspires to hone our skills and write genuine, interesting, informative pieces. And that's that's going to take a lifetime. Absolutely. But that's something that worth devoting time to. You know, if you want to be a writer, it takes time and effort. It ain't quick and easy. But... Here's a short story I decided to give to Thought Catalog I wanted to see. oh, Let's see how this does on their website. I don't know. Something easy. I'm taking a stab in the dark, and I decided to share it with Thought Catalog first. It's called, My Life Only Got Better When I Started Thinking of Others. John considered himself an all-around good person. He did his chores around the house, had good manners, paid his bills on time, impressed his boss with quality work, Managed to tackle a multitude of hobbies that engaged his various talents and skills. In short, he saw himself as a successful, well-balanced individual. However, there was always something pestering him. He frequently found himself feeling guilty. Guilty for taking time off of work. Guilty for enjoying good food and drink. Guilty for living a good life. But why? Was his success at work preventing anyone else from doing the same? Was he somehow depriving others of the good life by living it himself? He knew the answer was no, but nevertheless, something kept gnawing at his conscience. One day it occurred to him. The guilt he was experiencing was stemming from one thing, one universal characteristic in his life. The majority of his time and energy was spent on himself. Sure, he occasionally saw the parents and offered to help them with chores around the house, or he remembered to offer someone a genuine compliment, but his world was still very self-centered. He knew that he could start offering up more of his time and money to others. He suspected he would discover a sense of relief once he began thinking of others on a more regular basis. He admitted to himself it was too much to just jump into a long-term commitment at a charitable organization or start donating large sums of money to the hospital. That was too much too soon. So he started small. Very small. Once a month, he vowed to donate $25 to a charity and then see where to go from there. After just two months, he found that this new initiative of his was manageable and rewarding, so he quickly stepped up his game. Being an introvert, it was difficult for John to strike up conversations, meeting strangers and interacting with them for extended periods of time. So he figured an anonymous approach was his best bet for now. Today, he visits the hospital once a month to drop off balloons and a card filled with his love and some cash to whomever needed it most. He knew his anonymous gesture would surely make someone's day. John would write down some encouraging words for the patient and sign it, Sincerely, Your Fellow Man. John experienced an immediate and overwhelming sense of goodness and purpose. He'd found something worth dedicating his life to, thinking of others. Yes, he could still enjoy the good life, playing golf once a week, going on vacation, eating out with friends, but he could finally begin directing, directly helping others do the same. Life is good. I would appreciate anybody's feedback on, that's a short story, maybe less than 500 words, I forget. And I wrote it in an afternoon, something that just popped into my head, and I thought, I'm going to take a stab at fictional writing with a message. Now, this message was pretty explicit. It wasn't subtle, but that is something that I am aspiring to do, being something of a writer. Uh, I've written for Bonfire now for uh, 18 months. It's usually been kind of personal things that I've experienced, movie reviews, book reviews, Things like that, and then getting other writers to do the same. But now I'm thinking, you know what? Let's do something. Let's do something even more original. Not just sharing our thoughts, but let's try to create some interesting stories that are there for just pure fun, first of all, and they're interesting. But if you want to try to slip a message in, then go at it. Have fun. That was my first attempt. So I'm going to try to share it on the social the social medias, just like the uh, the video we talked about in the A block. And the articles I talked about in the B block. Lots of stuff to share uh, so I can get everybody's opinions and y'all can kind of get this information yourself and form your own thoughts. You know, that's what I want. I like these conversations. These are the types of things that are just fun to talk about. To say, hey, if you're a millennial or hell, if you're not, what do you think about them preferring to stay in on a weeknight or on a weekend? How does that strike you? Oh, hey, when I listened to this documentary, what were your thoughts? Was that something you'd heard before? Does it make sense to you? Oh, it does? Wow, well, fantastic. Let's uh, let's go watch that movie now and see how it plays out. Oh, and the short story, what did you think? Do you want to take a stab at writing one yourself? Go at it. Have fun. That's what it's about. I want more stories in the world. More, please.
1: More, please. The Bonfire, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Don't miss Pat and Knife-wielding
0: man injured eight people at a mall in central Minnesota. Uh, during a bloody rampage In which he reportedly referenced Allah And asked at least one victim If they were Muslim And when they uh, were not, he stabbed them I, uh, I can't figure out a motive for this I don't, yeah, I don't know. we may never, well, know never know What drove this man Pat and Stu Weekdays at 5pm Eastern On the Blaze Radio Network
1: This is The Bonfire On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network
2: All right, the final segment of the day. I am making a wee bit announcement. You know, I just realized I do that more often than I think. Some sort of weird English-Scottish accent that really has nothing to do with anything. Oh, it's a wee bit of stuff. Um, There's no excuse. I don't know why I do that. I just do. The announcement. I am going on a a road trip uh, next week. It is going to be pretty stupendous, if I do say so myself. I did try to schedule it with other people. Unfortunately, I'm going now by myself. But that's doable. doable. It's manageable. I've done that type of thing before. I've done it in New York by myself. And that was amazing. I had a good time. So now I'm going to uh, the other side of the country. I'm going on a road trip from San Diego to Napa Valley by myself in a convertible Mustang. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I've had this thing in the books for... Two, three months, and I don't plan ahead. I hate planning ahead. I don't like making those sorts of details and thinking that far up and saying, let me just schedule this, let's try that, and it's, just, it's too much. I prefer to just be in the moment. So I had a little compromise here. I scheduled the flights and the car rental, but when I get to San Diego, I'll figure out what to do right there in the moment and say, all right, do I want to stay here for a couple hours, or do I just want to get right on the road and head to L.A.? Then once I'm in L.A., drive around and say, all right, well, what's here? What's popular? Am I hungry? Where should I stay tonight? I don't know. I don't have any hotels. I'll find them as I go along uh, the Pacific Coast Highway. The PCH, I believe. Don't know. I've been to California a number of times, mostly just to Fresno. I've been to San Francisco a couple times, San Diego once, maybe twice. I've passed through L.A. on a train, never really been there. So this is a good opportunity for me to explore the state and just get great views and drive an awesome car at the same time. So this is a road trip trip. That I am flying to first in order to have, <laughs> so it's going to be a unique experience. It's going to be great. I hope to have some great pictures and some mm, some deep thoughts when I come back. Maybe some sort of revelation about my life, or I I don't know. I'm open for anything. Hell, I may have some tremendous adventure that I think, oh, I never even saw this coming. But in the moment, I decided let's go for it, and then I did it. Who knows? That's what I love: being spontaneous, letting it happen. I'm planning to be spontaneous, as counterproductive and ironic as that sounds. I am. I will drive up to Napa. I plan to, at least. Who knows? That may change. By the time I get to San Francisco, I may be like, oh, wow, it's time to go home. I don't have time to go to Napa. All right, whatever. And then I go home. Or I may just blow through all of California, go straight from L.A. to Napa, and not do anything else. I don't know. But the power is in my hands. And so uh, I'll figure it out. It'll be good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning into the Bonfire Podcast. This is your, hmm, your amateur host, your young host. I'm only 26. I have much to learn in my life, and I'm looking forward to it. And I would like very much to share it with you. As the months and years go by, things that I'm learning and experiencing and realizing, oh, well, maybe, maybe this is what this piece of life is about. And maybe that's what you're supposed to do over there. Oh, and here's a movie review for you. And here's some music talk, some book reviews, and food thoughts. Love it all. Culture, life, whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, let's all participate in it, okay? That's what we can all come together on. Those things. Ugh. Makes me happy. Makes me happy to think, yeah. Oh, there's other people out there who want that same kind of thing. Like, you know, you may hate someone's guts, but you think, wait a minute, you like spaghetti? Ooh, man! Now we can talk. Now we can go out. Let's uh, let's go. Uh, let's go get some spaghetti. Some really good homemade spaghetti with meat sauce, just <laughs> uh, loaded down with red marinara meat sauce and mushrooms and olives. Oh, spinach! Holy crap! I'm hungry. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and the main website, bonfirethoughts.com. Andrew Herzog, out. This
1: is the Bonfire on the
2: Blaze Radio Network.